Well, tonight we're talking, it's, uh, we're on module two, you know, in, uh, in our Life Shape series, and we're so glad that you're here tonight, and uh, glad that you're watching, and we are talking tonight, this is block three in our second module, which is uh, the second group of lessons, and uh, as you know, and most of you know, we're, we use these lessons as to lay foundational blocks of truth in our lives on a consistent basis, and people are using these all around the world, and uh, more and more as the days go on, other pastors in our area as well as around the world are using these uh, modules, these these, uh, foundational truths that we're laying in people's lives and we're teaching about, they're using them, and and God's going to make great use of them as we continue on, amen? And tonight's uh, block three, and the the subject is forgiveness, and... uh, uh, what a great subject. The scripture there, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I was going to subtitle this, God's Greatest Problem. God's Greatest Problem, Pastor Kenneth Bent. But it didn't really come out the way I wanted it to, I thought. <laughs> and so <clears throat> I went back to Pastor Ron's title, Forgiveness. Anyway, <laughs> anyway. The reason I wanted to call it God's greatest problem is because if you think about it for just a moment, God really did have a problem. If God was going to have a problem, now I realize God has no problems, all right? Um, uh, But if God was going to have a problem, what kind of a problem would he have? Well, the problem that God would have is in the aspect of forgiving us of our sins. You see, because God's nature almost prohibits him from forgiving in some ways. But you see, God's nature, he is pure, and he is holy, and he is just, right? And because of his pure and holy and just nature, he can't just automatically decide one day to forgive everybody of their sins. He can't do it and still remain true to himself, right? So God's greatest problem is that for God to forgive us, He had to fully maintain his holiness and his righteousness, and by virtue of that, his indignation and wrath against sin, and yet at the same time, in a just way, being the judge of the universe, allow, in a just way, allow his nature also of grace and forbearance and forgiveness to bring salvation and restoration. So God in a sense, had a problem. How do I juggle the fact that I am holy and pure and righteous and, I, and my natural nature is to abhor sin? It can't live in my presence because I'm too pure, so to speak, or I'm so pure that sin cannot abide in, in my presence. And yet at the same time, my nature is also loving and forgiving and full of grace. So how can I solve the problem of being just and holy and yet being forgiving and gracious? How can I extend restoration and forgiveness to mankind at the same time as remaining in my just character? Well, the answer is in Christ Jesus, okay? So God was in Christ, the Bible says, reconciling the world to himself. The answer is that God can be just and the justifier, in Christ, because God reconciled us to himself in Christ. Christ bore the curse of sin for us on the cross. So as one theologian, I believe it was John Stott, said, God himself, 
Now listen to this. This is important. Don't miss this. God himself gave himself to save us from himself. If you'll meditate on that, something wonderful will happen. You'll begin to understand how God is able to perfectly balance his holiness and his love in Christ on the cross because Jesus bore the penalty for our sin and was the full and complete expression of God's holy, righteous standard, and yet is also the full and complete expression of all God's forgiveness to us. Amen? So, on the basis of the shed blood of Christ on the cross and his death, burial, and resurrection, by faith, we appropriate God's forgiveness and restoration. And then it's on the same basis, on the basis that Christ died on the cross for our sins, that we are also then to be kind one to another and forgiving one another. Why? Even as God in Christ also has forgiven you. All right? So the basis of our forgiveness is Christ on the cross, God in Christ reconciling me to himself in a just way in a perfect manner, in a manner completely consistent with all of his nature. And yet at the same time, based on what Jesus did for us on the cross, we are also then to forgive one another. So forgiveness is both horizontal and vertical, amen? Just like the cross. It is vertical between God and man, and it is horizontal from man to man. And so we must learn to forgive one another as well as us having received the forgiveness of God. Okay, so here's some key scriptures. 1 John 1, 9. As, I think it's right up there. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So here's some important points, all right? Here's a key point. Forgiveness absolves a person from the pen penalties, not the responsibilities of the past. Forgiveness absolves a person from the penalties not the responsibilities of the past. We'll get onto that in just a minute. Number two, there is a difference between asking to be forgiven and asking to be excused. Forgiveness is not the same as being excused. Forgive me does not mean excuse me. Okay? Third, forgiveness is the offender's right and the offended's command because it was paid for by the blood. So if you are the offender in terms of a human-to-human -human relationship, it is your right to be forgiven because of the blood, all right? And it's also the offended. If you are the offended party, it's your command to forgive, <coughs> excuse me, again, because it was paid for by the blood. There's a difference between Forgiveness and restoration. Very important to understand that. Restoration is always in mind in concert with forgiveness. You see, here, here I, I think about my son. If he's playing catch with his friends or something like that when he was young, and, uh, and he's throwing the ball, and he throws the ball and accidentally breaks the window in the house. Okay, breaks a window in the house. Well, he comes to me, Daddy, Daddy, I'm sorry, I threw the ball through the window. Well, I forgive him, all right? But restoration is another matter. Fixing the window is another matter. You see, sometimes your sin, I mean, you know, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you, but there still may be consequences as a result of your actions, all right? 
And so restoration is another matter. So then I tell my son, okay, I forgive you, but now let's talk about how you're going to earn the money to pay for the window to be fixed, okay? So I'm seeking for, all the time I'm seeking, I'm restoring, I'm forgiving, but yet I'm making my son realize that there are consequences to his actions, okay? Forgiveness is real. I absolutely have no anger or, or resentment in my heart towards him. It's real. Our relationship was restored. I have fellowship with him. I may ask him to be more cautious with the baseball next time, you know. I may not even trust him with a baseball for a while, you know. But I want to make sure that he understands that even though I've forgiven him and our relationship is right, and still there should be restoration. Well, like Luke 19, for example, the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is forgiven. Salvation comes to his home through Christ. And then as a result of his heart change and his relationship change with Jesus, then he says, listen, I'm going to restore back to people that I've taken money from. There's a restoration process that occurred even though he was forgiven. Amen? And Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says, if you see a brother overtaken in a fault then you who are spiritual, go and restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, all right? And in the Old Testament, restitution and restoration was an important principle. If I stole an, an ox, for example, or I borrowed items that were then lost or destroyed, then the Old Testament law required me to restore, to bring restitution to those items. I may be forgiven, but restoration is another matter. <coughs> Excuse me. Number five, whoever confesses and forsakes their sin will have mercy. This is the scripture. Whoever confesses and forsakes their sin will have mercy. True repentance and forgiveness, though, is not the same as saying, I'm sorry if I made you feel bad. How many of you ever heard something like that? Uh, it's kind of, kind of a cheesy apology that's not really asking for forgiveness. They're just telling you, well, I'm sorry I made you feel that way. But they're not really asking you to forgive them, okay? They're just telling you, you shouldn't have felt that way about my actions. So we need to keep these things in mind. Let's talk about the scripture then. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 and 22. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Peter thought he was doing great. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times or 70 times seven. When Peter asked Jesus how often should he forgive his brother who sins against him, Jesus responded with the overwhelming number 70 times 7. That is to say, in other words, it's a way of saying, every time. Okay? In other words, no limit on the forgiveness. Do you have limits? Would you like limits on the forgiveness God gives you? I don't think so. Especially if you go home and... You know, on your way home tonight, somebody cuts you off and there's this flurry of words that comes suddenly out of your mouth and this desire to pound on the guy that's driving the car. <clears throat> you might need some forgiveness. Amen? If you confess your sins and forsake them, you'll have mercy. And so remember that just as much as you are forgiven by God, so we ought also to forgive other people. Forgiveness is then in the following verses in a story is characterized as the forgiving of a debt. 
And in the following story in Matthew 18, as you follow the story, Jesus tells the story about a man who had a great debt and that debt was forgiven. And then the man to, to whom the debt was forgiven then failed to forgive the debt of another person that owed him money. And Jesus said, that man's in trouble as a result. So you got to pass on the forgiveness. Amen. So Luke 6, 37 then, judge not and you will not be judged, condemn not and you will not be condemned, forgive and you will be forgiven. In fact, a promise is connected to us, forgiving others of their trespasses against us. Jesus said, if we forgive others, we will be forgiven also. This is the basic principle of sowing and reaping and treating others like we want to be treated. The grace of God is sufficient so that we might access his storehouse and forgive others in Christ. Forgiveness is both a right and a responsibility. I have a right to be forgiven because of the blood of Jesus. Not so I can just take advantage of that, but my right through the blood is to be forgiven. But then I have a responsibility to forgive you if you sin against me. If I go to the altar and, you know, and then, then I've got to forgive you. If, I, if I've got something against you, I've got to go to you and ask you to forgive me. If, if, if you have something against me, then you need to come. Amen. You, we need to be reconciled one to another. There needs to be this reconciliation going on, this mutual forgiveness. It's a right and a responsibility. Amen. And it really all starts with us. You shouldn't wait for the other person to decide, well, I'm just not going to do anything until they do something first. No, your responsibility is to go. Amen? Your responsibility is to do something. Don't sit back and say, well, whenever they get ready, that's what I'm going to. No. Did God wait for you to get ready for you to respond to him before he responded to you? No. He did it. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus already did it. He acted. Amen? So should we. Each offender has a right to be forgiven because forgiveness is based on the blood of Jesus. The offender has a right to be forgiven, while the one who is offended has a responsibility to forgive. Forgiveness is not based on what a person does or does not do. Forgiveness is based on what Jesus said. Amen? 1 John 1, 9, again, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. 1 John 2, 1, my little children, these things I'm writing to you so that you may not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate, a lawyer, a representative with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he is the propitiation, the $3 word, which means the complete satisfaction for our sins, and not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Proverbs 28, 13 says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. If you'll look in 1 John there, I don't know, hopefully you, know, you brought your Bibles or you got, got something in your iPad or, or whatever you're using these days to read the Bible. Um, in 1 John, there's a very interesting discussion here, and I'm just going to take just uh, like zero minutes to point it out to you. And um, some things need to be kept in the forefront of our thinking. If you'll look at in 1 John in chapter 1 and begin about uh, verse 5, this is the message we heard from you and announced to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And then for notice verse 6, he says, if we say. Now also, I want you to notice 
Then verse 7, he makes another true statement. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one another. The blood of Jesus cleanses us. Notice verse 8, again, if we say, and then in verse 9, he makes the, the, the statement, the true statement, if we confess our sins, and then the reply, verse 10, if we say. How many of you are seeing that in your Bible or something close to it? Notice these three occurrences of this interesting phrase, if we say. It's quite possible that the Apostle John here is, is reacting against some false doctrine that's being taught uh, to these folks that he's leading in the Lord. And he makes a truth statement, and then it's almost like he's quoting what they say, or at the very least, quoting what false teachers are saying. And they are saying three basic things. In verse 6, they're saying, I deny that sin breaks fellowship. Okay? And then in verse 8, they're saying, I deny that sin exists in my nature. And in verse 10, they're saying, I deny that sin shows itself in my conduct. Okay? So, very interesting. I want to encourage you to examine that that way. And listen, when you read the Bible, find these little recurring phrases. Okay? Look out, look for the ifs, look for the word therefore, and, and, and underline it, just kind of go through. And then you'll find some very interesting things on how the Scripture can speak to you. Amen? You follow me? Okay. When a person is born again, they become a new creation in Christ Jesus. Amen. Old things are passed away. And as such, we gain access to a storehouse of God's grace. This storehouse is filled with every good and precious promise, all paid for by the blood of Jesus. And at the point of salvation, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin, and we are forgiven of all of our sins. I want you to realize that. And really help people understand that when they come to Christ, they are forgiven of all of their sin. Amen. That's a beautiful thing. And we take it for granted. Listen, if you take your relationship with God for granted, or you take your own sin and sort of trivialize your sin or the sins of others in comparison to God, then what you are doing is you are not esteeming God high enough. You are not holding God high enough for you to realize how evil and unjust and wayward you really were before you came to Jesus. And then if you trivialize your sin, oh, well, God will forgive me. You know, the, the, they say Catherine the Great used to say, you know, ah, le bon Dieu, you know, uh, if you know, he's going to forgive me in my sin. It says, that's his job. I can't quote it quite right. I'm sorry. My memory's failing me. But basically, she was saying, she's saying, oh, the good God, of course he will forgive me of my sin. That's his job. If you have that attitude about your sin and about God, then you are mis understanding God's holy, beautiful, just, righteous nature, and you are trivializing your sin before a holy God. And you must not. Not that you need to, you know, work your way to heaven. No. But you need not to trivialize your sin, nor trivialize God's greatness and holiness, his majesty, his holy otherness, his transcendence, his greatness. Amen? You've got to hold these things in your heart and do it right. Oh, the good God. Of course he'll forgive me. That's his job. 
What a, you know, we may not say it in so many words, but sometimes we trivialize sin to the point where we just expect God to forgive us. And, you know, there's no real repentance. There's no sorrow for our sin. There's no contriteness in our heart. There's no brokenness before God. And we need that. And if we don't have that, then we, ask, we have to ask the Holy Spirit to just convict us of our sin. That's how we stay in right relationship with him, amen, and with each other. Don't trivialize your sin with other people. Don't think that when you sin against your brother or sister that that's trivial. It's not. Of course, then, you should be free in your forgiveness and in your, your grace that you extend and your patience. Of course you should. But don't trivialize it. Amen? Treat it seriously. It'll be good. Without question, the grace of God is sufficient to cover every failure and the sins which do so often beset the saint. The grace of forgiveness comes when we recognize our sin before God, confess our sin to God, and and forsake that sin. This grace is available in abundance when accessed by a true heart of repentance. More than simply saying, excuse me, we must mean forgive me with solemn contrition because each request makes its demand on the blood of Christ and without the blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Not only can we access forgiveness that we need for our sin, but we can also access from the storehouse, from God's treasure of forgiveness, forgiveness for one another. Amen? You may not feel like you need to forgive, you know, that you can forgive somebody, but feelings are not what it's about. You forgive based on the objective truth that Christ died for your sins. That's the basis. It, the feelings will follow later. You don't need to just feel it. You need to do it. You need to decide that the facts of the cross of Christ are real and the blood's uh, efficacy in forgiving you for our sin, of your sin is real. And the feeling will come later. God will help you. We need to stand ready to forgive and to receive and to restore and to bring people back into relationship. Amen? Restoration is a responsibility. It doesn't, forgiveness doesn't relieve you of the responsibilities of your past. But it does absolve and fully pardon you from the penalty of your past. All right, to reemphasize, real forgiveness of others is to absorb the cost of their sin. Does someone's sin cost you something? Has it cost you time, energy, money? Has it cost you relationship because someone sinned against you or against God? Absolutely. But you know what real forgiveness does? It absorbs the cost. Jesus absorbed the cost of our sin. We absorbed the cost of others' sin against us. There's a debt. We absorb the debt. We choose to accept the debt. Amen? And not to hold it against people. Jesus talked about debt again as describing the nature of sin. Forgive us our debts. So I choose to to absorb the debt of your sin against me. God chose to absorb the debt of my sin against him. Amen? Tim Keller says, forgiveness means giving up the right to seek repayment from the one who harmed you. This is a voluntary suffering on our part. Yes, we should confront and reconcile, but it takes faith. The, the apostles said, how many times should I forgive somebody? And they, Jesus told me, they said, increase our faith. <laughs> 
It takes faith to forgive and to keep on forgiving. You have to trust. Amen? The Baker Illustrated Commentary on Ephesians 5 says it's uncomfortably threatening both to forgive without guarantee of a favorable response and to give up personal anxieties without assurance of provision. The verb in Ephesians 5, be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. That word be kind, be con- con- it mean, it's in the present imperative. It's a, it means to continually strive to be tender-hearted and forgiving and kind. Continually strive. To be truly forgiving of others, I must, number one, not use it against them. Amen? Number two, to truly be forgiving of others, I must not talk to others about it. You can always test if you've really forgiven somebody by if you bring it back up again. Oh yeah, but you know. And lastly, to be truly forgiving of others, I must not dwell on it personally. 